got a wife, got a kid, got a yacht. Oh yeah, while my part time drunk. I got a gut, got a house, got a car. Oh yeah, while my part time drunk. Go and say whatever you say about people who live precariously. Church have a beer, oh yeah. Rob a part time boss. I'm in a band that only plays once a year, oh yeah. Rob a part time boss, I'll go and say whatever you say about me. So when you came over t- today, yeah. you said nice to meet you, but we actually met like over 20 years ago. Yes. And I want to hear these <laughs> stories, although I am totally, totally terrified. <laughs> no, it's good for you. Like okay. you turned out to be a pretty cool guy. <laughs> but like, oh. so I was in a band a long, long time ago and I think we were like 15 or 16 years old yeah. and we were playing our very, very first show at Carpenter's Union Hall. Oh, wow. And we were the first band. And you guys were the headliners. And I mean, I didn't know anything about any of the other bands playing because we were young, right? Well, yeah, like, yeah. And pre-internet. So it's oh, not yeah. like you knew any of these bands coming in from out of town. And so we were like, I was so, so, so nervous. I think it was like the first three songs. I sounded like I was going to cry as I was singing because <laughs> I get like that. Like when I get nervous, yeah. it's like that wavering it's a little, voice. Little hitch in the voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like that. <laughs> So we get through our set and I'm like on cloud nine and we start walking, you know, walking our gear out. And there's this guy with this massive head of hair standing at the door. And this guy looked like he must have been like my dad's age. (laughs) And joke is he is. (laughs) And he's like, hey, man, that was an awesome set how long have you guys been around and i was like oh that was our very first show and this guy just gave me this look like oh my god like really and so that just sent me up to cloud 10 if there's even a cloud 10. wow and i I had no idea who the guy was until the bonaducci's got on stage and it was you that's you know that makes me feel (laughs) that makes me feel so good like i mean it may sound stupid but one of the things I love the most is if I hear music and like, especially in a live context or whatever, if yeah. I get a chance to tell somebody, wow, that was really good. I really enjoyed that because I know how much it means to me when, you know, you've done something and somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, you know, that was great. Or that was, you know, that was worthwhile. Yeah. You know, there, there's few things better than that. So I, I try to always like, if I'm feel if I feel legitimately like that was great, I want to tell somebody. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's Wow. That's cool. That's cool. 20 some years ago. <laughs> he told me you guys sucked. <laughs> I don't remember. I was standing right beside him. It was he's, a like, long, this, he's like, this man sucks so you much. Were, you were too cool to talk to me. Don't, don't forget that. Don't forget that. I, I, I go that to exactly I did, like I did, Mike. I did have a, have T roofs on my car. I, I, you gotta be a pretty cool guy to drive a car with T roofs. I walked into, uh, <laughs> when we played Calgary, possibly that show. I'm not sure. We played no, Calgary a few times. You weren't working. Okay. Yeah. We played Calgary a few times. Calgary was always really good to us. We always had really good shows here and we had just a really nice connection with the city. And I, I mean, the very first time I played here, actually, we played with Red Autumn Fall, believe it or not, my old, old, old band, a band called Buick Six. 
and we, we played with St- Red Autumn Fall and stayed at their place and they were super nice. And I got, developed a total crush on their drummer, which resulted in a song about her called The Drummer, believe it or not. Anyway, point being... That's, that's really clever, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're young and foolish and you have a crush on a drummer. Uh, what are you going to do? Write anyway, a song. Uh, exactly. So, but yeah, I went into Megatunes and, uh, and I... And I remember approaching a clerk and I don't remember what it was about, but it was, it was our, our friend Mike here and, uh, and the clerk just, he had like the, like pre hipster, 100% hipster sort of like, well, yeah, that's over there. <laughs> that yeah. sounds exactly like, just like, like just Mike. sort of like, yeah, whatever, man. I don't, I don't care. You know? And I was just like, okay, uh, all right. May- I, maybe I was so nervous because I was a big fan of your band. Did you think about that? <laughs> well, I have no idea. Like, I, like when when would that have when would that have been? Would that have been around Democracy of Sleep? Would that have been around then? Yeah, it would have been around then. Okay, actually, the Bonaduce's might have been broken. No, it would have been like towards the end of you guys because it was definitely it, like I never played Calgary. Like I played Calgary once with Buick Six, and then we played uh, a few times with the Bonaduce's. I'm not sure how many times. And then after that, the only other gig I've done here is the one you organized where I played with my broken hands. Um, How'd that go? Surprisingly well, I broke my, I broke my picking hand, not my, my fretting hand. So surprisingly well. <laughs> so let's, let's step back a minute. Okay. So 20 years old, that's when you kind of really start to get into music. Like, did you play an instrument before then? Or was that sort of when you picked something up? Well, I picked up guitar. I mean, you know, all through childhood, whatever you have music class, so you play recorder or whatever. I, but I really wasn't a music guy until uh junior high. It started like about 85 or so. Um, See, he's only through your dad. It's, it's pretty true. <laughs> it's pretty true. Around, around 85 is when I started picking up on music and really getting into it before that I'd been a car guy. Like I was one of those kids that could identify every single car on the road and what year it was made and all that kind of crap. And then adolescence hit and for whatever reason it became music and I just became 100% like so into it. And so, um, so yeah, in junior high, I, I, I remember writing once how it like some school project and I was like, I want to play guitar like Jimi Hendrix and write songs like Pete Townsend and play drums like Keith Moon. Like I was like 100% like, like classic rock because once again, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, like I had, there was no rock music in my house. My parents did not listen to popular music at all. They listened to like the singing nun and this German boy who sang songs named Heintje. Who, oh yeah. We all know who, who, who you may remember from the well hung, uh, the, the, the well hung carrot in the fridge. I'm saying the title wrong. The chicks dig it. The most well hung. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> We're um, from Calgary. I know. I know. I should know this stuff, but he, uh, but yeah. So, and, and like my older, my eldest brother listened to like friggin' super tramp and like Genesis after they, after uh, Peter Gabriel left. So, what your parents should have been. Listening yeah, exactly. To. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then my middle brother, his favorite bands, like my middle brother was one of the biggest sort of inspirations to me. Like his favorite band was the Ramones. And so, and the funny part is I didn't really pick up on, I wasn't really a pop punk guy for forever, but he also picked up on motorhead and I heard Ace of Spades and Ace of Spades, I have this weird thing where I'm, I have this weird division. Like I either would listen to like Neil Young and the who and like classic rock, or I'd be listening to, to like Slayer. You know, I was 100% one or the other. And I remember hearing pop punk and just going, well, they can't write songs as good as the Beatles and they can't, you know, play as hard as like, you know, technocracy area era corrosion of conformity. So why should I care about this band? You know, like why should I care about these not good songwriters? And it took me, it took a long time. Like, I mean, I like the sex pistols and all that, but I, 
it took me a long time. Like I had to go through hardcore and thrash and all that first before I started going, oh yeah, actually no, the Ramones are good. Anyway, point being, so yeah, my obsessive nature, like both of my brothers had a bit to do with it, but my obsessive, my obsessive neighbor, nature definitely took over at a certain point. And I literally, I would take books out of the library, find out, like read about like, oh, the birds, oh, uh, the, you know, the Rolling Stones. Oh, and I wouldn't really hear a lot of it on the radio, uh, except on Sundays, uh, they had this show coming out of Winnipeg on one of the radio stations called Psychedelic Sunday. And they'd play all this 60s stuff. And like I said, like my parents, nobody listened to that. Like I didn't hear that anywhere. So for me, this was all brand new. So I'm hearing like, you know, uh, Credence Clearwater Revival or, or any of that stuff, like anything, like the, the stuff that you think is the most generic dad rock ever, um, like as far as 60s classic rock goes. And it would be like this brand new thing for me. And I'd be like pumped, like, oh, I got to hear Led Zeppelin. Oh, I got to hear Neil Young. You know, when I found out Neil Young had lived in Winnipeg for a while, I was just completely like, you're kidding me. Music that good can come from here. Right. Because I mean, I, yeah, I'd heard the guess who, but they always had this kind of jazzy edge to them. And it's like, yeah, American woman's kind of, that's all right. You know, but like, I mean, comparing that to like what Neil Young was doing, I'm like, there's no, like, there's no contest at all. And so, uh, so anyway, I, I dug, dug in really hard with classic rock. And then on the other side, I dug in really hard with, with metal. Like I had like a hundred thrash metal tapes in like the, the mid to late eighties. I had like, you know, like Slayer, Corrosion of Conformity before they went kind of grunge, um, DRI, uh, The Accused, like all these bands. And I had like acres of this stuff and I was, I was reading about it all the time. And so all these things, weirdly enough, coupled together into the music I made. I was trying for years sitting in my bedroom in the middle of nowhere, you know, Bible belt, Manitoba. I was sitting in my bedroom coming up with thrash riffs on my acoustic guitar. Cause I was going to form, I was going to form like the heaviest, craziest band ever. And we're going to do two demo tapes. And then I was going to get married and have kids and be a roofer for the rest of my life. <laughs> Cause that's you know, Makes the, sense. the small town dream. That's what you do. The small town dream. So I'm, I'm writing all these thrash riffs. I still have some of these tapes kicking around somewhere. And I like wrote, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't put a song together with that stuff and I didn't have a band and there was nobody else interested in it. So the funny part was I would just sort of like sit around and I'd start playing and then I write a song, like a, like a song song, like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And at one point I realized, you know what? Writing songs like this is way easier than trying to assemble these riffs for like with nobody else to help and nobody else is interested. So I'll just concentrate on writing songs this way. And so that's, that's really how it all developed my, my writing and creating music. It was sort of, this this weird accident because I couldn't couldn't form the brutal thrash band that I wanted, <laughs> proto death metal or whatever. So when do you find other people that are into thrash metal and classic rock to to well, assemble a band with? And <laughs> unknown German, yes. unknown German. German. Okay, it wasn't That's the like main I, was, I wasn't a fan of Heinzia. I'm still not. Anyway. So I, I had, but it uh, informed a lot of your writing at the time. It, yes, a lot. No, it did not. No, I, I found um, first band I was in was a blues rock band. Quite honestly, I, I, I in high school I bumped, which is where I picked up guitar for the first time in high school. I bumped into a guy there who could play all the 
all the Stevie Ray Vaughan licks. Oh yeah, there we go. And uh, <laughs> this sounds awesome, <laughs> doesn't it? Though what a hero. it's like your dream come true. <laughs> you know, I like Stevie Ray. Mike loves all all white blues all the time. Is yeah. Mike's motto. So anyway, uh, so I I got into a band with with this guy, and uh, I started taking guitar lessons, and you know he taught me a bit as well. And this is when I was like sixteen or so, and so my first band was like this blues rock cover band, and. Uh, and then I was telling him at the time, like, I, we need to write our own songs. And being that he was a blues guy, he's like, no, 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 we'll just keep playing Stevie Ray Vaughan right. covers or whatever. How much and, can you guys jam? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but at a, at a certain point, I was just like, well, I'm, I'm going to, like, like I said, I was, yeah, it's this weird combination of like blues rock, thrash, classic rock, and, and all these weird. Oh, weird that's, that's beyond weird. It's a, it's a bizarro combination. <laughs> yeah. For, for where I ended up at. But, uh, but yeah, um, I, I, uh, I started writing songs and I like, that's the thing. My, my favorite band of all time is the who. And so that really is where my songwriting begins trying to, to emulate that and sort of the, the who Neil Young axis because Neil Young played acoustic guitar. Sure. So it was easy to figure out how to write songs. Like since I was writing songs anyway, so I got this weird thing of wanting to have sort of the power and energy and drive of the who, and yet at the same time have the sort of, for want of a better word, proto alt countryness of Neil Young. And, uh, and then punk just sort of came in there, like I said, through the back door. Here's, here's a kind of a funny story. So I'm going to a private Christian high school and, uh, and I'm, I'm into metal at this point, like Slayer, all that. And I'm photocopying one of my copies of, this magazine known as cream presents thrash metal. Okay. I was photocopying on, on the school <laughs> photocopier. And one of the, uh, one of the seminary students uh, comes by and he sees me photocopying this stuff. And he's like, Oh, so you like that kind of music, huh? And you got to remember, this is during the whole satanic panic thing. Right. Like I'm, I like, so I'm listening to music that like people are scared of people are legitimate. Like they are, terrified of like Satan is coming out of every orifice of your body sacrifices any second. Now you know, to die or rolling all over the place. <laughs> oh, you better believe it. And so, and so like, and this is like clean cut, you know, seminary students. He's like, Oh, you know, Oh, you're into those kind of bands. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, yeah, you should come over sometime. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Like I'm, I'm pretty young and innocent and it's like, whatever. So I go over to his place. Turns out, the guy was 100% like old school. And I mean, old school, hardcore punk. Like he had, he'd, he'd actually moved to Calgary at one point. He'd followed bands on tour. He had like a germs t-shirt, like from, from when they were still existed. He had, and he had like vinyl records that people would give like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for like, like rare, like hardcore, uh, 12 inches and seven inches. He made me this mixtape. And, and it was just like, and so this was, I was already into thrash metal and this is sort of my step back into hardcore. So I'm hearing like black flag articles of faith, uh, TSOL, um, you know, De Kreutzen, just all these great bands and seminal bands. And so, and, and once again, that sort of got it added, added as this extra grist to the mill, like this sort of like love for hardcore and punk in that sense of the word. Um, and I think that's, in, in a weird way, I remember one time, and I mean, it's a stupid discussion to have when you're young. I remember uh, all the Bonaduce's guys, we were, I don't know where we are, were, what we were doing, but uh, I just looked at Doug and said, who do you think is the most like sort of punk in our, in our band? And he just sort of said, well, you, because I was the one that listened to the most 
of that kind of stuff. Like Doug was 100%. Like when we would go on tour, Doug would be listening to these mixtapes he made of like, uh, uh, oh man, what's, what's a, somebody's watching me. Oh yeah. Like, like he'd Rockwell. Be, oh yeah. Rock, he'd like a Rockwell and like, like all the most poppy pop from the eighties. And so that just, makes sense. If you actually listen to your band. Oh yeah. No, Doug's yeah. Doug is a genius pop songwriter, like 100%. Like he just has that, that knack and it would just, for the longest time, it just drove me up the wall because I'm like, <laughs> I gotta listen to this shit. I thought I left this behind. I don't want to hear Duran Duran, you know, I don't want to hear aha. But after a while, you just sort of like, yeah, this is just what the way it is. This is fine. You know, it's fine. It's totally fine. But yeah, he would play those tapes and he'd be singing along at the top of his lungs. You know, oh man, made me crazy. So how does that first band that you, like when you start writing originals and stop doing Stevie Ray Vaughan covers? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the first, there was a band I had uh, where, where we started doing my material and it was kind of a, one of those acoustic-y kind of things, like proto bare naked ladies sort of thing. Wow. So we had an accordion player, of course. Um, well, everyone does <laughs> as, as everyone did in 1990 or 91 or whatever it was. But we had, uh, uh, the, it was a, it was a really good lineup as far as musicians goes. And we call it Wilfred Naylor because of course that's what you're going to call your band. You're going to call your band Wilfred Naylor. Winnipeg, we don't know how to name bands. We just don't know how. And we rehearsed in his apartment. So, cause, cause it's acoustic instruments. It's sure. not going to be that bad. No. So I'm playing an acoustic guitar and we got, an electric bass and the drummer's playing with multi rods. Surprisingly, after our first rehearsal, there was, there was noise complaints, which was, you know, shocking as we all know, having your band rehearse in your apartment, <laughs> that's, that's not going to cause problems. <laughs> and ultimately I started jamming with this other guy named Lucas and that band evolved into a group called Buick six. Um, and one person, and we were kind of, once again, like we were kind of like nineties eclecticism run amok. Like we had a violin player. We had three female vocalists. I was playing an acoustic guitar through this Sears amp that, that from like 1962. And our drummer was basically playing like, uh, could play and did play like the drummer for no means no, like just incredibly loud. And so we were like the ultimate nightmare for, for a sound man, like just, just complete disaster. And that was where I first started being able to really introduce my songs and also being able to play live, like like uh, the girls in the band, uh, sort of the the leader was this woman named Julie Penner, who went on to, she did some work with uh, Do Make Say Think, and she's now married to Jason Tate uh, of the Weaker Than, well, ex-Weaker Thans, and uh, I'm not even sure who Jason all plays with these days. Um, but uh, she would get us gigs, no problem. So we were getting gigs all over the city all the time. So I was able to bring my songs out and... Uh, and have this band and we made a ridiculous CD circa about 1995, 96 that, oh man, it is literally all over the map. This bizarre mix of like folk music and a bit of punk thrown in there. And this weird song where we tried to sound like kittens, which is a noise rock band from Winnipeg that were pretty big. Well, big in the underground sense, I guess. So not actual kittens, yeah, but I the band about, kittens. I thought you were talking about kittens for a second. I was like, <laughs> well, yes, we that's sounded a very a lot 90s like, thing. <laughs> We sound a lot like kittens. Like just, we do a lot of <laughs> meowing, meow, 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 meow. Oh yeah. Well, we did, we did, uh, we did take that. Uh, we, we made this one song called death disco and it featured, uh, do you remember vignettes like CBC vignettes? Do you remember that one that was like, dun, 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 d
I am fucking old. <laughs> anyway, we took that. If you sang it to like KJ, if you sang it to yeah, it's like the log driver. It's like that yeah, kind of okay. thing. Okay. So if you sang it to KJ, he would know it. He'd know it for sure. But we turned that into like this eight minute like disco like punk rock mix song, and it yeah, I don't know. You're not I'm, selling I'm, this band. Most oh, bizarre I, I, cover I am, ever. I am not selling this band. Like I, I am like I have fond feelings about some of it, but a lot of it is just like. Oh man. But I mean, how does a band like that, like, I mean, looking back on it and being like, this is weird, yeah. but like, how does a band like that start booking shows and like, see, I feel this is like, without Mike saying, I'm going to guess, I feel like this is the nineties and that's like what bands were like in the nineties. It felt like anybody underground was just experimenting. There was just like this hodgepodge of things working together. Totally. Totally. You could, you could literally like Nirvana basically made the record labels at the time when record labels still mattered and did something. It made them all go, uh, sign anything that's weird you know and so you could do that and i mean we played a lot like we'd play like we could possibly play like two or three times a week you know we were playing all the time and uh like how fast does that happen like from kind of the inception of starting this band to you know like it sounds like it happened quick it, it did happen very quickly we paid it we played our first show in like april of 93 and we just we were just on a roll. I, I don't know how soon after that, but I remember writing down, like I had to keep writing down all the dates of all the shows to make sure I could, you know, I kept them in mind and, and we'd be playing like constantly, like constantly you're playing gigs. And, uh, yeah, I know it was, it was really strange. It's, I don't know. There's once again, I have too many stories to tell. I remember when I first joined the band, when we were first starting the band, cause they'd already been jamming with Matt and Lucas. Um, I gave them a tape of my songs and uh, said, yeah, like I write songs as well, you know, and I actually helped edit some of their songs. Like I was, I was pretty good at like sort of taking the essence of what was good about a song and like, okay, you can leave all that behind. And, and she'd really appreciated that. So, uh, or they'd really appreciated that. So I brought a tape of my songs and she listened to them and she came back and she's like, yeah, you know, I, I like, uh, you know, I like some of the songs that, that song, one song you liked a lot, but it sounds a lot like Green Day. I'm like, who's Green Day? She's like, oh, there's this, this punk band. They play the Albert, you know, this is like 19... 92 93 so there's this punk band they played the albert they're really good you know we hung out with them da, 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 da. and i'm like oh okay and so uh a while later uh i'm at some used record store and uh i see a copy of uh 1039 smoothed out slappy hours and i'm like oh i should give this a listen you know and i was uh, i was listening to it and i was like i write better songs than these guys <laughs> i'm way better than these guys and then shortly thereafter dookie came out and everything changed yeah that was yeah that was that was very bizarre for winnipeg as a scene was it like like calgary always felt incestuous like our bands here like, like it felt like there was only such a there was such a small group of people mm -hmm. so if a band broke up other people just formed a new band or like well, or in, the same people were in the same band like it was just like a rotating people like there's like only x amount of drummers so <laughs> yeah this drummer would be it, in three bands or like it's, it's a, a cool band would break up and then like two guys would go to a different band and like and then another band and it'd be like a new band like similar i i looked at it a bit differently um i mean at, at my peak i was in five bands at the same time um but that was a common thing like you'd be in more that's than one band. so it's, oh, like, yeah. it's like a common thing that this, oh yeah this... indie, indie rock punk rock scenes that's that's a very common thing multiple bands and yeah i mean a lot i i definitely understand viewing it as incestuous on the other hand, I always felt uh, there was a different word I, 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 I had for it. And now I can't remember what it was, 
but yeah, just sort of this thing of like, yeah, you're in four or five bands, but just because you want to do music so much and, and everybody's like, oh, well, I write songs too. Okay. Well, we'll form a band that will play your songs, you know, or we'll, you know, um, and, uh, and, and that's the thing. Yeah. No, people come and go. So yeah, very similar to Calgary in that way. Very similar. So what what were some of the other bands? After Buick six, the first band I formed was cheerleader, uh, which, you know, went through a little bit of editing until it became cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, but that was, yeah, that was sort of my first attempt. And you guys at, released the, the seven inch? Yeah. Two yeah. seven inches. The, uh, endearing records was, a was an indie label that started up around, uh, around us and some other Winnipeg bands. And the very first release on endearing was a split single with my band cheerleader and another local band called bell who were sort of a C 86 kind of, kind of indie pop group, really, really good female fronted, uh, indie pop, indie rock. And then uh, we put out a second seven inch. And of course we broke up before that one came out as bands did as bands did. And then after cheerleader, I formed, uh, I mean the Bonaducci's were already going. The Bonaducci's okay. were a band that we started in 95 and we broke up properly in 99 and then j- just have been doing reunion shows ever since. But, uh, so Bonaducci's were going through this whole period from 95 to 99. Um, cheerleader lasted from about 94 four to 96. And then at the end of the year, uh, I formed a band called dud, which was myself, John Sampson and James Ash who played in I spy. Um, and Todd from I spy went on to join propaganda later on. And, uh, we recorded five or six songs that was supposed to be part of a split seven inch where it was going to be John on one side and dud on the other, but that never materialized. And then uh, after Dud, I formed The Kicker, which are, to a degree is still going to this day, although it's, we haven't played a show proper in a couple of years, but every once in a while I drag the guys, come on, let's practice. And the drummer will always practice, but the bass player is kind of iffy about it these days. Um, and then after The Kicker, um, who else? I know I'm, well, I was in Swallowing Shit for a little while, which is a grindcore band. But I was they were on G7, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I was but I was just on the demo tape. I wasn't on any of the any of the vinyl or anything. I did a solo record as Mike Coop's Multitude of Sins somewhere in there. And my latest band is called uh, The Leftists. So with all that, yeah. I mean, let's leave the leftists out for to, now. To the left. But <laughs> yeah, let's push them to the left. Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, like with all those bands, I mean, what's the one that, that kind of speaks the most to you? Or what's the one that you, you know, feel like you were most part of? I mean, it sounds like there was, there was a lot going on in that time. Well, in, in a really small amount of time, really. It's, it's sort of a weird thing because when, I mean, as a, as a writer you're always very much wanting your songs to be heard. And so any song, any band where I was the primary writer, like that feels like uh, quotation marks, my band. So cheerleader, the kicker and the leftists uh, and, and dud to degree. Those are, those are sort of my bands. And I have varying degrees of happiness or unhappiness with uh, various lineups and this and that like cheerleader. I always felt should have recorded a CD. That would have been the best possible time for me to do a full album. And we never did. And I always regret that dud. The recordings we did are, they need to be remixed and remastered. So if anybody out there is interested in uh, grabbing some ADATs and doing some remixing and remastering, let us know. Um, uh, the kicker has kept going on forever and we put out a few things, but 
none of the recordings are quite as good as I could have hoped. And so and then now with the leftists, the leftists, I'm probably happiest as far as the album we've recorded. Like, I feel like it's, um, I feel like it's, those songs came out really, really well. There's only one song where I kind of wince at certain points. The rest of the time I'm like, yeah, no, this, this holds up pretty good. You know, where some of those other ones, it's a little bit more, there's a little bit more like, eh. and all this time you're in the Bonaduce's as well, right? Yeah. Well, which from 95 like, to 99. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, and you guys were on that cusp kind of, right? Of like, well, not making it, but like make you're making, you were like making that step out of just being a Western Canadian Yes, like out of your own city. Yes, yes, and and that's the thing. That's like like you guys. uh, I mean, I'm I'm saying this nicely, and I thank you very very much for this. You would not be talking to me if it wasn't for the Bonaduce's. If I was just if I just done my own stuff, I don't even know if anyone would have ever really heard me. Um, But with the Bonaduce's, yeah, it it was a weird. The Bonaduce's are extremely special to me, like extremely special to me because of the fact that we we were on the cusp of something more we had no business sense though we had no sense of any of that and that's part of the reason why we we just ultimately failed because we had no sense of we were laughing at everything we were like oh man i hope we get invited out to to a meal from a record company guy just so we can be total idiots you know we doug was planning like yeah if we ever went on big tour the tour would be us lip syncing to hearts bad animals album you know (laughs) like everything was just like ridiculous and a joke I mean, the music itself was serious and, and it meant everything. And we were trying to make those songs sound as best we could. And we were trying to put on a show that people would be like, you know, wow, I saw, you know, as an outsider, I will say like, if I mention your name, people know you from your jumps in the Bonaduce's like people are automatically like, Oh, the guy with the hair that could jump really high. (laughs) Oh man. You know that, that that, uh, it might sound so stupid, but that warms my heart so much. (laughs) That warms my heart so much. Remember in junior high, I said, I wanted to, I wanted to write like Pete Townsend and play, be yeah. like Pete Townsend. And he was like, I wanted to do that. I saw, I saw like the kid, I watched that movie. The kids are all right. That pseudo documentary about the who I watched that like a hundred times. And I wanted to jump like him. I wanted to just, when I went out, I wanted to fucking go so hard. And the problem when is when you're a, a, the singer singing the songs, you can't do that. And so the Bonaduce's for me were, were kind of an ultimate because it's like, I had a writer whose material I respected so much. Like Doug is an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, when John Sampson um, says like, he would tell us how much he loved our record and he would say how great a writer I was. I did read an interview with him and he said without the Bonaduce's, there's no weaker thins. There was like nothing. He said he admired you guys. I think, I can't remember the quote, but it's like, it's a pretty good that's, quote saying about how important you guys were to his music and to Winnipeg. That, and to me, that's, that is so flattering and so amazing to me. Like just really, but Doug, Doug is an astounding writer, great writer. And he's, it, it I'm, this is going to just sound pretentious or ridiculous. We really did have everything. We had all the ingredients. We really did have all the ingredients except for business acumen. Yeah. That's part of being a punk. You know, Doug, Doug, had, <laughs> yeah. Doug had the songs. He had the look, he had the voice. Like he was just ideal as a front person and, and as an artist. He had, you know, me going off, like putting on, putting on a good show, you know, and we had Bob and and Chris just contributing this sort of like solid yet. I don't, I don't know how to, how to say it. Like it it was, and, and the fact that Doug and Bob had been friends since they were like, like elementary school, since like kindergarten or whatever, 
like their long-standing friendship and they played in bands together for forever as well and their sense of humor it just made this extra element of like fun and and uh you know like it was it was always so enjoyable and so, and we'd all like as soon as we started playing we'd all go so hard you know we'd all all be so into it uh, so there's a really magical thing for me about the Bonaducci's looking at it from the outside like where I can look at it and go, wow, like that was something really special. And I'm so like proud to have been a part of it. Now at the same time, it's not like we were really, I mean, I, I don't even know what to compare us to. Like we, we never got really anywhere. We got like barely known in Western Canada. See, but know? I feel like when you get out of your city, like that's a, that's a big extension, you know, yeah. beyond just kind of being in the city that you're from or just being known um, there. You guys were on much music. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and you weren't there. I, 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 went, I looked it up the other day. I'm like, why isn't Mike in this interview? I was, I was at a family gathering. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a family gathering. So I had to miss it. I had to go to the family gathering. And we, we, at that point, the band was so early in its career. We said things like, Oh yeah, if someone can't make it, we'll just play as a trio. Like there's a few Bonaducci <laughs> show. There's a few Bonaducci <laughs> shows where I'm the drummer. That is something that's like so relatable. Just seeing shows and remember being things like, I uh, I know we have studio time. We'll just we'll just record it. Yeah, I know somebody else it. can fill. Somebody in. else can fill in. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was it was ridiculous. It was like I, I remember uh, Blair from Endearing. He didn't he didn't like. I don't know if he didn't like the Bonaduces or he didn't think much about the Bonaduces at first. But he said one of his favorite shows of ours for the longest time was when I was playing drums, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not a I am not even a good drummer. Like I'm like, I mean, so that dream was never realized oh, no. from, from no. little Mike. <laughs> no, it was not. It was, it, I, I like playing drums, but uh, I'm, I'm not good at them. Yeah. I'm not good at them. It's a lot of fun, but yeah. So why not? Like, I mean, you know, 99 is when the, the Bonaducci's officially break up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you, a lot of years have gone by now. <laughs> um, why not ever revisit any of that? I mean, I know you said that you guys play reunion shows, Oh yeah. but I'll, I mean, why not revisit that band in any <laughs> capacity? Okay. There, there's a couple of factors. First off the way the band broke up, it was, it was pretty sad and pretty ugly at that point because Doug wanted to keep going with the name but he was more or less telling me we have to get rid of Chris and Bob because they can't commit because Chris had just gotten a new job and it was a very good job and Bob was getting married and Doug just sort of fell. And we had two, two uh, guys uh, who were temporarily filling in. Like we did some touring where Bob couldn't make it or Chris couldn't make it. So we'd have uh, temporary members filling in. And so, and these guys wanted, to, they wanted to be the band. They were like, you know, we've been on tour now, we should be the band. And so Doug was in this really awkward place where he's like, well, I, and you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle the feathers of these people that have actually been here with me, but I, you know, I don't want to totally destroy my friendships, but ultimately it, it just came down to like, he was telling me this and I, and uh, I'm sort of like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. And we had a band meeting and it, yeah, and band it, meetings never go well. And it, 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 it didn't. It didn't. It didn't turn into like an ugly fight at the time, but it, it sort of became this thing where Bob, who'd been friends with Doug for forever, sort of felt like Doug was basically you know shitting on him, like after all these years, and 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 he he was just livid about it. And Chris was like, "Well, I can still be in the band. Like, I I can I can dedicate time to this. I really can." But the the rhythm section that Doug had been work, working with. 
they're, they were sort of like, no, no, it's, it's us or like, it's us. You're nobody like it's you and Mike and, and us, and that's it. Uh, or at least that was how it was presented to us or how, how it seemed. And so, um, so we played a few shows as the Bonaducci's like Doug and I, and, uh, these other two guys. And, uh, at one of those shows, Bob came up to me and he said, um, yeah, we want you to stop using the name and we're going to, we will take you to court if, uh, wow. wow. <laughs> like he, and so I said, and <laughs> I, and, and I, I'd been keeping all channels open with everybody because yeah. I wasn't super pumped about this. And so I just sort of said, you know what, then we're going to, like I, I said, if that's the case, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to be part of something where it's going to devolve into this. And so we were playing a show uh, at uh, one of the bigger venues in the city, the West End Cultural, in Winnipeg, uh, the West End Cultural Center. And Chris asked if he could be on the guest list. And I knew that this was sort of what was going to happen. And so I said, yeah. And so after that show, we were downstairs and, uh, and Chris just said, yeah, Bob and I want you to stop using the name. And I said, I would love to keep playing with you, Doug, but you know, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I was married already. No, I wasn't married, but I was dating. And I just sort of knew that my life was going to be changing. And so I said to him, look, I'd love to still play with you, but at the same rate, I don't know how much touring or whatever I can do. And so, um, you got to do what you got to do. And so Doug said, okay. And so at that point he pulled the plug on the Bonaducci's and he immediately started the paperbacks with the two guys who'd been the rhythm section that had been touring with us, Jack Yonason and, uh, Jarrett McNabb. And, uh, and he got another guy, um, oh, you know, his name is escaping Mike McKenzie to play lead guitar. Well, his name's Mike too. Yeah. Yeah. Another Mike. <laughs> and the, the guy who ultimately replaced Mike was also a Mike, funnily enough. And then, and then they got somebody else you finally not Mike. named Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always, I gave him the side eye. No, I, Bob, and, Doug, Mike, Chris. Yeah, we're pretty, These are pretty all names Canadian. that are going to be forgotten. We, we should have had a gourd. We should have had a gourd in the band. Um, no, the, the thing was when Doug started the paperbacks, uh, I thought that this was going to be like, okay, now is Doug's time. Cause the, the weaker thans had taken off and they were, they were, they were happening. And, uh, I was like, yeah, now Doug's going to put together his weaker thans and they're going to blow up. And you know, they got, they, they started dealing with a label out of England and they were playing like big local shows and they were touring like nobody's business, like just touring, touring, touring. And then it just never it never happened. It just never happened. And it, it still kind of bums me out to this day because, and there, there's a part of me that thinks maybe we should have let him keep the name because he could have evolved the sound and he, he would have had this groundwork with the name where, and he would have been maybe able to blow up bigger, but it could also be just once again, bad business, bad. What was it about the name? Like other than like, I mean, was it just the fact that, you know, people recognize the name? Exactly. It was just like exactly building people, a Twitter account in today's day and age. Exactly. It's like, because of the, if, if he'd kept the name, the Bonarducci's, there would have been always this ongoing recognition factor. Yeah. The band would have changed and people would have gone like, oh, it's not quite the same guys, you know, as last time, but, oh, but the music's still the same or the music's still as good or, or, or whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the paperbacks definitely sort of, uh, like they all, were pretty hyped. I know like, cause I was, oh, yeah. that's when I was working at the record store quite a bit and the paper, everyone loved the paperbacks. Oh, I mean, they're a great band and they're great. Yeah. And you're, you're actually on one of their releases. Yes. <laughs> I'm on the, the third and final album, which, uh, it bums. Once again, I'm, I'm just sad that they never got the recognition they deserve. That third album is, is like a masterpiece. It's like this huge sprawling, 
Like it's double CD. I think it'd be like four. I figured that was Doug's like swan song. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he, he put everything into that thing and Jarrett put everything into it, like recording it and producing it. It's, it's a great, great album. And I remember reading one review of it where the person just took a big shit all over it. And I'm like, I was just like, I can't believe this. This album's like, this album is a masterpiece. It's a great, great record. And it just, yeah, it still bothers me. Um, that it just never. Yeah, that's unfortunately that's a common story in like yeah in like local scenes. Just like why didn't that band ever make it? I know they should have made it. More people should have liked them. Speaking I, of things that bother you, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you do you ever? I mean, you you mentioned some some more well known names, you know, in in John Samson and and yeah. Todd, and I mean, you were in bands with those guys. Do you ever like look back on that and go, oh man, like you know the bands that they went into shortly after being in bands with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, There's I mean, a common denominator. Well, well, <laughs> you, you, you got to remember though, the first thing Samson was already like, uh, I mean, he had Samson, done propaganda. Yeah, he was left. already, he was already a star. Sure. Really. He really was. And so I was lucky that he was willing to play. And was he considered that in the Winnipeg scene? Like, oh, yeah. Like people kind of, there was a reverence. Yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely. Definitely. I always wonder about that. Like, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're, existing in that scene you know it's not always that th they don't have the same kind of caliber as they might in another city you know what i mean no uh, that's the thing samson was we all knew that he was something special and he was something spectacular and and uh i mean uh the weaker thens just proved that when that album came out just everybody knew right away like this is something this is something special this is something and 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 it did take off like almost immediately like they they just you know it just yeah but i i never for me it was always like a matter of yeah i got to play with these people because i was lucky enough that i got to play with them it wasn't so much that i was some sort of you like know like you missed that train or anything I like mean, that when i formed dud with samson i wanted him to bring his songs too i wanted it and, and this is going to sound pretentious or ridiculous i wanted it to be a beatles or big star kind of thing like like one of us you know sort of like lennon Mac mccartney kind of thing like two writers you know and, I, and who are you in that mix i'm really george harrison when you get right <laughs> to it i'm neither of them i'm, I'm uh, like at, at best at, i'm and I, by I'm, the way i'm, a, I'm a, is my favorite beetle i am a i'm a big george harrison fan he's actually technically the only beetle i have any solo albums by to but be you're honest you're not ringo i i just just I to do, clarify i like i do like ringo but i feel kind of goofy like ringo i'm kind of goofy like ringo anyway you're point not being, a great drummer like ringo. I'm a Sarah, ringo is a fucking great drummer anyway point I'm being i'm just spouting facts that are out there I on know. the internet but but legitimately i really did want dud to become i would have loved for that band to evolve into like you know me and or even a husker do kind of thing like bob mold grant hart kind of thing like two writers you know doing their the best writing they can and like i'm not saying like the, i'm not saying like oh yeah i'm as good as john samson oh yeah but it's just more like i i feel that we could have accented each other very well like i think it could have been kind of a cool band and it could have uh, you know it could have been a unique and cool thing so ultimately does that not happen because the weaker thans take off uh, uh james was going to brazil and i had an opportunity to reunite cheerleader and cheerleader um matt matt Cooper, who, who i had also been in buick six with and who i mentioned earlier who's this guy who could play anything at all at, at any time working with him again, 
and working with a bass player, this guy named Chris Peters, just astounding bass player, really, really good. He uh, ultimately started uh, the band The Pets that evolved into The Waking Eyes that evolved into Royal Canoe, which some of your listeners might know about. They're indie rock bands that have done actually, well, The Waking I Eyes. Say waking, so much, most people know Waking Eyes. Yeah, they're, wa- like, they're a pretty big Canadian band. Exactly. In that, in that world. And, and Royal Canoe, I know they've done very, very well for themselves. Chris hasn't been involved since, since The Pets. I don't think he was in The Waking Eyes at all. But Chris is a real, real talent. So I had an opportunity to work with these two guys and, a, and an absolutely excellent drummer who unfortunately no longer plays at all, if I remember correctly. And so I was sort of like, well, my drummer's leaving. John had already started the Weaker Dance. Like he was already jamming a bit. So I just sort of thought, ah, I'll just go back to cheerleader. John will be doing his thing. Whatever. It's fine. And then, you know, the Weaker Dance took off. And I was never like, oh man, I, I missed my chance. Like it never felt like that. Because it really felt like John wanted his own thing. Well, it just sounded like it kind of dissolved. So, like you both just kind of stepped away from it yeah. at the same time and, was, and found the, new things to do. Oh, yeah. And there was no, there was no acrimony or anything about that. that and, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. That was one of my questions. It's like, um, I get the impression that this, this era of Winnipeg bands are all kind of friends. Oh. Like you guys just stayed friends despite this like bands breaking up and stuff. For the most part, it seems like everyone just sort of was like supportive of each other. Yeah. No, that, is like this I said, indicative of like the Winnipeg scene like at that time or is this just like your little I, type I, group? I think that's, in my mind, that's a fairly typical thing in indie rock and punk rock scenes throughout history. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm looking at it with, with stars in my eyes or, or being naive. But I, I often feel like you play in bands with people and yeah, you develop these relationships and those relationships don't, they don't necessarily dissolve. Like you can, the band might end. And I mean, it also depends on where you're at in the band. Like, yeah, if we'd signed some sort of horrible deal and we're all like, you know, got completely fucked over, you know, things just went to hell. Yeah. That could, that could change things a lot. But there is this other thing where like, I mean the, the Bonaducci's, I, like I said, ended on a bad note and but but you two, guys all seem to be friends still. Yes, two three years later, we we did a big reunion. We did a really big reunion show, and then since then, we've been playing on and off uh, over the years. You know, like oh, somebody's like oh, somebody wanted us to play. Oh, sure. Sounds and most good. of the stuff you guys do is benefit shows now, right? Like, um, yes. Is that like a not necessarily the last show we played was just literally a show. Like they literally just said, we want you to play a show we want you to reunite to play this show at the west end we played with this band the the details who i think did they did pretty well didn't they yeah they were pretty popular they were like yeah. on, like on cbc countdowns and things like yeah. that yeah so we we played a show with them at the at the west end and that was literally just a show show and uh, i mean we'll definitely play benefit shows if people ask and it's well, for it's some reason cool. i felt like you guys just i was gonna ask if that's like part of your mantra to be like well we'll, we'll just we'll reunite but we're gonna give this stuff to, to as a benefit kind no of thing. We'll, we'll reunite for any reason at all because even <laughs> unless it, I, know that. I feel like there's a piece missing from here like at what point does the lawsuit get dropped around the name oh, there was, there was, that, the I, lawsuit never started no no but like I at what point does that bitterness dissolve away and it you took, guys are allowed to use that name again? And it, t- it took a year or two. It took a year or two. And then at what point, like it just kind of blows my mind that you're this band that obviously all members still have an affection for. Oh yeah. And you're willing to play these reunion shows, but eh, I mean, getting back together or, 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 or writing again as a band, that's okay, twofold, twofold. Yeah. Um, first off, um, all of us are at that point in our lives. We're all in our, at, at our very least, our mid forties. Sure. So we're all settled in. 
we all have full-time careers or jobs or, or whatever, and, you know, and spouses and families. And so the idea of doing something more, like in the 90s, there was still that, that thing where you could look out and go, hey, we could be the next Nirvana. We could literally not just make a living at this, but make a good living at this. This could be really our livelihood. 2018 isn't like that at all. But at the same time, you're all doing independent projects. Oh yeah, we're all doing independent projects. So you're still but, playing. Oh yeah, but but that uh, but like stuff like like touring or anything like that, that's just not possible. Right. And if we were to to pursue it, we would have to be able to say, okay, well, we need to tour, and it's just it's it's kind of an all or nothing thing. Yeah. And and as and I mean, we would like to. We would still. I mean, we would love to tour. We'd love to play out of town. I think we actually got invited to some sort of festival out in Ontario at one point, but it was like, you know, I, you're sort of going logistically, like you'd have to pay us a lot to do this. And I don't mean that in some sort of greedy sense. I mean, in the sense of like, we're all losing wages that we need to pay our bills, to pay our mortgages, to, to, you know, like buy food. Like, it's not like, you know, there was one Bonaducci's tour where we made money. I got like 50 bucks at the end of that tour. <laughs> that was it. So logistically, I, w- I mean, I would love to make a living as a musician, but it's just not possible and it's not realistic. The other part of it is Doug is always writing material. And we have all said to Doug over and over again, because it is, it is his band. Like, I mean, as far as the writing goes, it's his band. We all contribute our sound to the songs, but it's his songs. Like, and he has to, and he, we know he has lots of material, but we're all sort of saying, yeah, if you want to, if you want to, it's like that thing. You want to go? You want to go? Okay. If you want to go, we're ready to go. We're all ready. We'll all go outside. We're waiting for you. You want to go? And and we would drop, uh, like, we recorded a song. Oh man, is it three Arma- years ago now? Armadillo. Whatever. Yeah, Armadillo. Which is great. I it, love that song. Thank you. I, I think it's a great song too. I think it's a really, really good song. And I, I get to say that because I don't write the song, so I can say how good they are. <laughs> but um, yeah, we recorded that in Chris's basement and it sounds great. Like we could record an album so easily, so easily, but it's, we, that's just a sad fact of growing up. Hey, yeah. It's just sort of like if Doug, if Doug says, yeah, then it'll happen. But at the same rate, we do an album, but you can't tour it. You can't really tour it. And who's really, I mean, some people will care. Nostalgic nerds like me. So are the projects more locally faced or focused then? Yes and no. That you're doing now? Y- yes and no. Like, like I said, I would love to tour. I know I can't tour. Um, with The Leftists, we made an album um, that I feel very good about. And I want to promote it as much as possible. And I want people to listen to it and, and you know, buy it or download it or whatever. Uh, but at the same rate, it's like, um, like I know anything beyond that would be winning the lottery. I would like to know, have you ever figured out who's the Mike Coop fan club? No. I don't know who's I the Mike Coop fan club. I think you're the only person I know that has a Facebook fan club. There's a Facebook, there's a Facebook fan club for me. I don't know who runs it. How, and how many not, followers I, are there? Like prob- uh, maybe, I don't know. We can look it up. Maybe a hundred at the but most. But I think it's like it's, pretty good. Uh, I feel like mine would have five. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty good. <laughs> but it's it's like, yeah. I, I, Some second cousin that you don't know that's like, oh, you looked me up on here. My, my, well, this is the thing. People have tried communicating with me through this site, like and about stupid stuff, like kids' birthdays or whatever, like, Hey, you know, well, blah, like blah, blah. <laughs> well, no, no, like, oh. like friends, okay. you know, from way back. And they're just like, Hey, you know, what are you up to? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, 
eventually the person who runs it, who I think only checks it like once every six months, maybe like all of a sudden, like, Oh, by the way, Mike's not connected to this at all. I think they've actually changed it now. So it says on there, you cannot communicate with Mike Coop through this. <laughs> this is not connected to him. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's very, it's flattering and it's kind of funny and I would kind of like to know who runs it, but it's also kind of neat that I don't know who runs it. You know, it's like, ah, oh, that's cool. And nothing bad ever. Like, what's, I mean, if, what's on this fan site? Not very much. Like, uh, no, not very much. I just think it's a, funny. Yeah. There's a few pictures here and there. Every once in a while, they'll mention a show that I have coming up and I have a YouTube channel that just, I've been putting my albums it up. It sounds over the years. like it's done better than the actual Bonaducci's <laughs> Facebook page, which <laughs> if you go to it and you look at about it's. It just says musicians. Yeah. That's that's, it. There's, there's no names of people in the band. There's, there's no information like we've collected here today. It sounds like the Facebook page, you have no idea where it comes from, has more information on it. You, you could very well be right. You could very well be right. <laughs> the leftist one is informative though. Yeah. That's because Ethan is on top of it. It's, it's what's kind of really, something that's really cool about the leftists is both of the other guys in the band Music is actually their profession. My drummer is a drum teacher and, and drums in, I don't even know how many bands. Like he's a jazz drummer who plays with everybody, like everybody. And he's obviously really, really, really good. Um, so just having that guy want to and be able to play with me is is very flattering. Uh, the bass player, Ethan, used to play in Burn the 8-Track. Yeah. did. Yeah, they did pretty good. He, he had a bunch of music and stuff, too. I saw them play a lot of times here. Uh, unfortunately, he's not in any of the lineups that record it. <laughs> like, oh, really? he, Yeah, he's he's after the all the recordings. Burn the 8-Track came out of Guy Smiley, right? Yep, yeah. And so he, uh, but he's, I mean, he's toured everywhere, but he is now, uh, he's one of the onstage uh, technicians for Counting Crows is his latest gig. And so I got like these two guys who are actually in the business and are, really it's the, it's their profession. And so they're able to be a lot more <laughs> professional than I am. And just sort of like, okay, like Ethan's like minding the Facebook page. You know, I, I, I hired uh, the guy to do the artwork for our album, but it's, uh, but it's really Ethan who put everything together and, and, uh, like he's really the, he's, he's the businessman that the Bonaducci's never had, you know? So where does this sound? kind of come from like where's the progression of you as a songwriter as to where it fits in with the leftists or or how does it what kind of evolution does it take to get us to this kind of i don't want to say conclusion but it's it, here's a funny thing here's a funny thing i mean i still write songs but i don't write very much the leftists album uh 80 of that album was written in the mid 90s two of those songs were written within the last two years and I'm not going to say which songs are, are which. Like, you, you guys can figure that out for yourself. The leftists, to a certain degree, are the leftovers. A lot of those songs were songs that I brought to the other bands. And uh, in the one band, in Kicker, the bass player was like, ah, oh, this song's too pop punk. I don't want to play it. You know, in the, in, the, in the Waterworks, it was like, ah, oh, it just wasn't getting enough oomph. You know, we need more, more, more guts to it, more, more rock to it. Um, you know, and so these are all these songs that I always felt good about. I always liked them. But they mostly got left behind. And then once the leftists started, I was like, oh, well, I should write some songs for this band now. And so I, you know, started writing some new material. But yeah, uh, it's funny that you use the word evolution because literally um, my writing style has remained pretty much the same since like 93, 94. And I mean, there's been little changes here and there. But basically, I, I feel that I can bring songs from any point 
in my writing career and play them. And it's, and I, I'm not saying that, um, <laughs> what I'm saying is I always tried to write songs that I felt would be timeless. That was my, that was my hope. Now, obviously there aren't timeless because they don't sound like, you know, whatever, what's happening in 2018. They didn't really sound what was like what was happening in 2008 to a certain degree, even in 1995, 96, we didn't fit in. My songs didn't fit in. They weren't pop punk enough. They weren't proper in quotation marks, power pop, or they weren't the correct kind of indie rock. They were this weird middle ground between all those things, all these things that I love. Like I said, describing this love of, of thrash and, uh, and blue and classic rock and playing in a blues rock band and, and loving Neil Young. I took all those things and mashed them together. And that's, that's my writing style. And it doesn't really, it's never really fit in properly anywhere. Not like it's some sort of alien thing, but it just never's properly fit in. And so I just sort of have to roll with it. It's like, well, this is what I do. I'm happy with these songs. You know, uh, I'm not happy with all the recordings, unfortunately, but I'm happy with these songs. So I'll just keep going. And as far as if you like songs with verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, that have, you know, melodies that will probably stick in your head and, you know, generally have loud guitars, that's what I do. And hopefully, you know, you like it. And if you don't, sorry, it's, it's, all, I, it's all I got. <laughs> I mean, with the, the music community in Winnipeg, like it sounds, and maybe this is just you. Um, you know, that it sounds like everyone's really supportive of one another. Nobody's really like, oh yeah, those guys, they made it, but they suck. You know, it sounds like there's, there's a real sense of community within that scene. There, there is like, you got to remember, I'm a little, I'm still part of a scene that was there's, there's new scenes all the time. Like, I don't know a lot of the younger bands. I don't know a lot of them. Not that I don't want to. And if I see a new band and hear them, just like when I saw your band, I will go up to them and say, Hey, that's great stuff. Or that's really cool or whatever. Um, but there is, I feel that that definitely happens because nobody gets out of Winnipeg. Nobody gets out of Winnipeg. Like comeback kid only made it out of Winnipeg because they didn't stop. And I'm not, once again, this is not uh, derogatory towards anybody's talent. Propagandy, comeback kid, Venetian snares, um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Bonaduce's. Well, <laughs> Robin Blackbird. Well, <laughs> that, that's a whole different <laughs> kettle of fish. I'm just but, kidding. But, uh, uh, but the bands that have made it out usually are this mixture of things that don't make sense. Like, uh, who would have thought that a super, super left-leaning political, ultra-political skate punk band would become like the largest export you know, like thinking about propaganda, like what, you know, wow, we're going to play skate punk, but we're going to be so incredibly anarchist leftist political. And it's like, yeah, that's just a recipe for success. That's totally, everybody's going to just, yeah, that's, that's, you're going to sell a lot of records that way. There's no, there's no way. And so the, the thing with Winnipeg um, is making it out of Winnipeg is just about impossible. Being known uh, out of Winnipeg is, it's just about impossible. You're in the middle of nowhere. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Bands come from Toronto and they, they fucking deal with the worst shit they've ever had to deal with in their life. I remember hot, hot heat told me about the first time, like they came from Vancouver. The first time they came first two or three times they came to Winnipeg. And the guy told me about how a guy stood like one foot from the stage and spit on them for the entire set and said, you fucking suck. 
first time Elliot Brood came to, to Winnipeg, I opened for them. I did a solo set opening for them. There was like one person in the audience. They'd blown up in Ontario already. They were the hugest thing. And it's like they had to play their requisite, this is Winnipeg, we will fuck you up show. Because Winnipeg is just, it's hard. You're not going to make it. One of my favorite songs that I wrote is specifically about this. I wrote the song called Music is Worthless. And there's a few different meanings you can take from it. But one of the most, one of the biggest parts of it is literally like, it doesn't matter. You, you go ahead and do this, but just understand that it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Like maybe someone will hear it. Probably no one will, but you can't let that be the reason you're doing it. If the reason you're doing music is like, yeah, I'm going to be a star. Or I'm going to make it or everybody's going to love me. Don't, don't just don't just, just, but once you get to that feeling of like, yeah, this is, there, there's a worthlessness to this. There's there, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to notice. I don't care. I want to do this. I want to do this because I want to do it. You know, that's, that's the real essence of it. I am doing this because I want to do this and I feel it's worthwhile, but don't think you're going to make it. And don't think that your band is, I remember playing with some band and they're like, yeah, our friends can pay at the door. We're not going to have a guest list because we're going to make it. And I was just laughing. I'm like, you, you kids, you have no clue what you're talking about. We're in Winnipeg. This is where people go to die. <laughs> That's how I feel about Winnipeg. It's, it's, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love, I, I, I think Victoria is where people go to die. I thoroughly love being part of the Winnipeg music scene. There's so much I love about being in Winnipeg, but at the same rate, um, yeah, it's it's a harsh, harsh environment. It's a very harsh environment. So as you know, this is a, a top five podcast as yes. well. Yes. So uh, we did we did rec- uh, ask you, not recruit you, but ask you <laughs> to come up with a uh, top five bands of Winnipeg. We're kind of like a cult. We do do some recruiting. Well, yeah. you know, <laughs> once you've been here, if you sign up, I five try pe- not to say recruitment until the end. If you sign up five people, <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah. You advance a level, oh, okay. and then you can buy our textbook. But this is not oh, a pyramid man. scheme. That's not what this well, is. Well, I'm so relieved that it's not a pyramid scheme. Yeah, Wait, no. am I going to have to brand myself near my genitals? Is that I, I mean, gonna... that comes later. Maybe we do it. Oh, man. This is But it's not Mike. mandatory. That's just a fun thing we do. Damn it. Are you talking to yourself now, or are you talking to this mic? No, I'm talking to that oh, man. okay. That mic. Yes, so many mics in the room. Well, there's three. <laughs> And oh. then there's two more. Our dad jokes will never end. <laughs> oh, it's sad, but true. Um, so yes, so I took I took it and I, I kind of shifted it around a little bit and I just made it um, five uh, excellent Winnipeg CDs. That excellent. I, excellent Winnipeg CDs. CDs. That, I like how you, oh, you yeah. emphasize CDs. That's right, folks. I'm him, <laughs> the last guy, the last guy on the planet Earth that loves compact discs amazing oh it is not amazing it's terrible no, but I it love is it. In, a, in a world of streaming <laughs> i mean you'll be able to listen to music when the apocalypse happens well yes and no i'd still need a cd player that works though <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's don't forget that part there's still electricity and computers involved here so but, i feel like you could find solar panels in a pinch maybe. after the apocalypse comes well we'll see but Hunting for CDs is much easier than, let's oh. say, anything else because so many people have given up their CDs. So you oh, can yeah. actually find stuff that you maybe could not find before. Dollar bins have been very friendly to me as of late. Um, although the other, the opposite is also true. Like things that I used to see at a decent price on, say, Amazon or whatever, because it's like, and I'll say, oh, I'll just put that on my wish list. I'll go to it later. And then all of a sudden you look back and like now it's $80, $90 
because all the $1 copies okay. got sold. Yeah. And so you're less stuck with like, okay, if you really want this, you're going to be paying 90 bucks, which I will never pay for a CD. You know, you say that now. Oh no, I'm, <laughs> I mean, unless I win some kind of lottery, that's... Do you that's, digitize them after you... No. No. No, I listen to I listen to them. I, that's all I do. Do you I, have a Discman? N- yes, I do. Wow. I have a Discman that's just barely functioning. I need to, I need to get another one. I have a Discman. It's geriatric. I, it is. <laughs> I, I'm able to listen to music at, at work, which is really nice, and then in the car kind of thing. And so... Um, so yeah, I you know I, some cars don't even have CD players anymore. Oh, I know right? that. <laughs> Believe you me, our car was well, like one of the last ones. So once again, I'm going to need to get a discman pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> once again, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, the simple fact of the matter is, is it's is it's it's kind of an age thing. It's like yeah, this is what I this hit me at the exact right time where it's like this is the form my format of choice, the format I prefer, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I'm just sticking with it. And it's not like I have a problem. Like I, I'm not against streaming. I'm not against any of that stuff. It's just like, I'm not part of that loop. And I just don't feel like I, I want to own something. I want to have something that I hold in my hand and people go, Oh, we'll get vinyl. And it's like, no, 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 no. I remember vinyl. I hate pops and and scratches and skips and all that stuff that people romanticize. Like, oh, it sounds so real. It's like if I went to a show and coming through the mains was like, I would not be going. Oh man, it's so romantic. I think you hearing. need to take better care of your records. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it didn't. You can ma- still get skips on a CD. It's true, but I, then I just get a different CD. Okay. I like. I, I literally. I don't. I do not tolerate. I do not tolerate the skip. You're very I do not specific. Tol- oh yeah, I'm. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I'm not gonna lie. It's not like this is some sort of romantic, nice thing that I'm into. Into CDs. I just. It's. It just is what it is. So these CDs you speak of, yes. do you have five of them? Yes. I, I've, because you asked for a top five, I made a list of five. Excellent. Um, and in no particular order, I'm going to go with- That's th- the way we do it. No order. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first one's going to be The Telepathic Butterflies, uh, their second album, which is surprisingly called Songs from a Second Wave. Uh, they were kind of a, maybe a little bit of mod, uh, but not that much kind of power pop band. Had a lot of energy. Great, great writing, uh, great playing. They were on a label out of, I think it was out of New York called Rainbow Quartz, um, which if I remember correctly, uh, a lawyer started it up because he had so much money, he didn't know what to do with it. So he's like, I'm going to form a power pop label. And he put out a lot of albums by a lot of bands. And surprise, surprise, I'm pretty sure it's defunct now. Um, but yeah, Telepathic Butterflies, they put out, they've put out, mm, man, three or four records for sure. Maybe as high as, as they may have, put out like maybe even a half dozen. Uh, but once again, great songs, great playing, um, power pop in the, in the, like the late seventies, early eighties kind of mod, mod punk sense, but with a lot of Beatles in there as well. So if you're a fan of say like the jam and the Beatles, this would be something you'd, you'd be digging. Um, also a name that, that kind of backs up your point about bands not really doing well with naming their Winnipeg's got a real problem. I can't wait but, to hear the next four. But, uh, telepathic <laughs> butterflies actually got their name from a Kurt Vonnegut, uh, book. Okay. So that's, so there's, there is a legitimacy, you know, kind of like, Stop okay, up for there's a deep, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick up for Winnipeg if I want to. 
No. Um, <laughs> next, next up, actually, a band who did have a, a truly dreadful name. They called themselves Grand Theft Canoe. Oh wow! Grand Theft Canoe. <laughs> uh, another power pop band. This time, a little bit, a little bit more uh, easygoing. Not, not easy listening, but not, not as hard driving as the Telepathic Butterflies. They recorded an album with, uh, with. I don't, oh, what's his name now? He produced, I think, a few Sloan records. Brendan. Did they go by GTC by any chance? No. No, they didn't act. Well, they they did it at certain (laughs) points. Were they taking care of business? (laughs) Anyway, Grand Theft Canoe, ultimately, uh, they recorded this album with uh, Factor money, like uh, Manitoba Film and Sound or Mm -hmm. uh, Factor or like one of those grants. And they broke up and they weren't going to put it out. And basically they were told, well, you have to put it out. And so they did. They changed their name to Voight, V-O-I-T. And I'm spelling that for a reason. Uh, this album called The Moon Hour, if you can find it, is one of the greatest records to ever come out of Winnipeg, period. Wow. And I'm lumping that in with with Neil Young. Like, it's that wow. good. It's a just a killer, killer record. It sounds spectacular. Absolutely unbelievable, unbelievably great writing and singing. Just so good. So, Voight. The Moon Hour. Look for it. If you find it, consider yourself a very lucky person. I, I don't know. It might be on the internet. Like somebody might have set up a band camp or something for it, but I don't know. It, it's just such a great record, though. Changing gears slightly, uh, a band I mentioned earlier, Kittens, who, believe it or not, Jello... Another great name. <laughs> That's a good name. Jello, Jello Biafra actually uh, said some really good things about them, which is very cool. Wow. They were, uh, they're sort of an AMREP uh, noise rock band, but I'll be brutally honest with you. Uh, I don't know of another noise rock band that I think are, are even close to as good as they were. Uh, they put out an album called Tiger Comet in 94. Just face ripping. Like, such a great record. Uh, unbelievable... Uh, like just, oh, so aggressive in your face, high energy. Um, yeah, can't say enough good stuff about it. It came out on Sonic Onion, uh, back in, yeah, like I said, 94. I think I actually pissed off one of the guys from Sonic Onion now that I think about it. I think one of them was a rec, was a rep and he came in and he was trying to sell stuff at the record store and he said something about Blue Oyster Cult and me being a, a young jerk at the time, not the old jerk that I am now said, yeah, Blue Oyster Cult, they suck. The guy just gave me this look like, and now your career in Canadian music is over. I kind of forgot about Sonic Onion. Are they still around? <laughs> I, I prob- doubt it. Is. Probably not, but but I mean, they certainly never helped my career because I insulted Blue Oyster Cult. That's it. Sorry, that's Sonic Onion. That's, that's how a lot of people <laughs> lost their careers in music. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first. You, you, you didn't fear the Reaper. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. But man, Clearly. Well, Blue Oyster Cult were one of those bands that was sold to me as though they were going to be just face melting. Like they're going to be... Like, it's sort of like when you, when you see, remember how the first time you saw like the iconography for the Grateful Dead, like all those skulls and bones and you're like, man, this band's going to be fucking motorhead. It was such a disappointment. And then you're just like, oh, this is like the Eagles, except wimpier. (laughs) The Eagles light, I think is. uh... Yeah, exactly. And I'm saying this as a person who owns a half a dozen of their CDs. Um, (laughs) What was that? (laughs) CDs. Uh, But. Uh, so, so yeah, Blue Oyster Cult was sold to me as though they were going to be like, just this, like, like MC5 stooges, like, yeah, just, it's going to tear you a brand new asshole. And it's like, well, it's kind of middling hard rock with sort of lots of vocal harmonies and they sing about death, I guess. Um, yeah, I just, uh, maybe there's a lot of Blue Oyster Cult I'm missing out on, but what I've heard has not, I, I, to this day. You're fine. And I'm, I'm, and, and that's the thing. I'm, like I said, I am a classic rock guy. 
to this day, I'm still like, yeah, just not like there's a song here or there, but. Yeah. So your fourth choice is Blue Oyster Cult. Is that is that what I'm? First off, they're not from Winnipeg. Okay, okay. My bad. Anyway, so but yeah, I was just Winnipeg going by band. name. <laughs> <laughs> it would make sense. It would totally make sense. Um, but yeah, Kittens Tiger Comet, great record. Uh, the next one, Hush Feed, their EP without blinking. Um, they were on a label called Permafrost, which was sort of formed in Endearing Records stead. Like Endearing Records, it wasn't like they were like some amazing label that you know, they, it wasn't like they were SST or something like that, like some huge indie, but they got enough traction in Winnipeg that a few other people went, Hey, well, why don't we give this a try too? And Permafrost was one of them. Hushfeed were, um, they were distinctly influenced by super chunk. There's no, there's no denying that, but I felt they had great songs and, uh, yeah, just absolutely love them. The EP was actually a great idea just because it's sort of, it's sort of magnified everything that was good about the band into like a, like a good five, six song chunk. And, uh, yeah, super good. If you're into the, if you're into super chunk style, uh, what I, what I refer to as proper indie rock when indie rock still had rock in it, I am, I'm going to be an old man here and say, I'm very, very tired of bands calling themselves indie rock. And they have about much as much rock in them as a a pair of like beige corduroy pants. It's like, Oh, you're just sort of bland and kind of like weepy. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's no real rock there. So, yeah. It's you, weird that you're wearing beige corduroy pants as you say that. But isn't it cool that I'm wearing them on my head? <laughs> like, I think, I think that's, I think it's a pretty hot look. Don't I you don't think it's about, a hot look? I don't know about cool. I Maybe cool, like in air quotes. Cool. <laughs> All the guys in Winnipeg are doing it, Nate. It's cool. With don't the, stick up for Winnipeg. It's a, no, you gotta stick up for Winnipeg. No, you don't. Win, Winnipeg will beat your ass. Winnipeg will beat your ass. No in the one's back going alley. to get beat up there anyway. So they can tell me to come meet them, but no one's going there. I know it's true. Uh, and last but not least, uh, another band I mentioned earlier, Bell. They were uh, indie pop, indie rock, uh, sort of like the maybe a little like the C eighty six, but not as as ramshackle as a lot of those bands, but just sweet, uh, perfect kind of pop indie rock songs. Um, great harmonies, just delightful. Uh, they, they made, uh, they made another album that is also really good called bright eyes. And I think it's called bright eyes. You know, I could be wrong about that now, uh, but anyway, and then they evolved into paper moon, not to be confused with the paperbacks. And it's kind of interesting because paper moon featured uh, members of the Bonaducci's and the paperbacks was run by the, the major writer for the, for the Bonaducci's. Yet you won't call it incestuous. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I will. Hey, whose attractive looking cousin is that? Uh, Sounds um, like more of a Shellyville. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's not the town where you spit. Oh no, that's, that's from corner gas. Never mind. Um, uh, one thing to know about people who are searching for stuff like this on the internet, uh, Bell's album, which is called only a paper moon. Uh, Bell is spelled B apostrophe E H L often all in lowercase. I'm sorry, but it's true. I wish they would have just gone with something not quite like, that. I wanted to call them Gobo, Gobo Boober Red. Like they asked me to name their band. That's even more Winnipeg. I, I know, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's from, it's from Fraggle Rock. It was from Fraggle Rock. And I kind of associated them with Fraggles cause I don't know, youthful energy or something. Yeah. It's okay. It's the worst. Let's just be honest. It was, it was the nineties. We thought, we thought heroin was good for you. Um, but anyway, Bell, once again, B apostrophe E H L Bell, only a paper moon, super great, uh, indie pop, indie rock album. Check it out. It's so 
all these albums so worth your while. Thanks for doing this, Mike. Awesome. Thank you Thanks. so much for before, having me. I really, really appreciate this like so much. Before we let you go, where can we find you? Because uh, well, I know you, you're not a big social media guy. <laughs> and the Mike fan, Mike Coop fan club is not you. Yes. Also, if you communicate with the leftists via uh, the leftists uh, Facebook page or the leftists band camp uh, where you can... Uh, you can find demonstrate. Unfortunately, I am not in control of those either. Well, I'm not You're unfortunately. Not the business guy. No, I'm not the business guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> so if you do want to, the closest I get to social media is Instagram. I have an Instagram account called uh, I'm into CDs, which is I M T O C D S, and it is literally just pictures of CDs. So prepare yourself because that's what's happening. But these here. are CDs you own. Yes, they are. Yes. So they artifacts. Are. They're yeah, pictures artifact. of artifacts. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And <laughs> so, if people want to buy the leftist album? Uh they go to the Bandcamp, uh the leftists the, the album's called Demonstrate, so the leftists demonstrate at Bandcamp and you can uh, pick yourself up a copy there. Uh and if you send a note to Ethan, our bass player and say, "Hey, I'd like to get a cassette copy of this. We do have cassettes for sale." Wow. Um no and, CDs. And if there's any labels out there that are interested in doing something like a CD or a vinyl, <laughs> Let us know. Let us know. Um, We're not going to lie. And something cool about your band cap is that a large chunk is donated to something. Yes. So yes. what are those causes? Uh, one is Girls Rock. You know, you're really putting me on the oh, spot You here. should know the shit. I should know. I should way it, know one the of them, shit. One of them was Girls Rock or something or Girls Unite or yes. something like that. The, the thing behind it um, is that we sort of felt with the band name The Leftists and the fact that the band were all pretty left-leaning guys to say the very least, um, we felt that it would make more sense for us to, you know, just kind of put our money where our mouth is. And so any money that comes in via the Bandcamp site uh, goes to Girls Rock and another group whose name I've totally, totally okay. forgotten. We'll, and I feel we'll horrible We'll put links up to about... it on our site that okay. no one goes to. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody goes to. I, I thought you told me this was popular, Mike. I thought you told me. Well, Nate listens to it. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. That's good enough for I'm me. I'm popular enough. That's that's good enough for me. I'm I'm cool with that. All right. But that yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mike. No problem. Thank you again, Thank Mike. You. Thank you, guys. Thank you very, very much. Keep on rocking in the free world. <laughs> <laughs>